As I begin, shall we bow our heads in prayer and commit this time to the Lord. Come, O Holy Spirit, and so inspire us that in the hearing of your word and in the preaching of your word, Lord, you and you alone would be glorified. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts, O Lord, be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Let me quickly ask you a question. What makes a person more than any other? Another way of putting it is, how do we know when someone is great, above average, super normal? Uh, higher IQ maybe? Or above average human strength like Samson? Or exceptional leadership or servanthood? You could possibly be thinking during this time about our doctors and nurses and those men and women in uniform who are going above and beyond their call of duty in order to care for us uh, during this COVID-19 period. Or your friendly food delivery guy who braves the traffic and comes and gives you what you need. Is this greatness for a season of time or is it longer? And whether at home or in school or college, uni, uh, in the workplace, whether you're working in the marketplace or government, wherever it is, we ask this question. What makes a person rise above others? What defines them? What makes them tick? Whilst we struggle with that question about greatness, Others uh, may not even be asking that and they may just struggle to even recognize what it means to be a normal, average human being, let alone being greater than others. In 1954, Sir William Golding, winner of the Nobel uh, Literature and Booker Prize uh, winner, wrote this book, The Lord of the Flies. It's a story set in the midst of a raging war about a group of proper English schoolboys who crash land into a deserted paradise island. The story revolves around uh, the boys and three main characters, Ralph, Jack and a third boy nicknamed Piggy. The premise of the story being what would happen to these young adults in the absence of a civilizing influence. I won't spoil the story for you if you're going to read it. Or if you're like my dad when I was younger, you give it to your children in order for them to read it during this COVID-19 period. But I'll leave you with a quote to think about from this book. It goes, Ralph wept for the end of innocence, the darkness of man's heart, and the fall through the air of the true wise friend called Piggy. Previously, in the last few weeks before Easter, we read in the book of Joshua how the Israelites, led by Joshua, who looked to the Lord, was strong, courageous, and waited upon the Lord, conquered the promised land. 
Through Joshua, God brought the people of Israel into the land He had promised their ancestors. And the book of Judges continues the story, but unlike the book of Joshua, it tells us, much like the Lord of the Flies, a spiraling story of evil and destruction. Despite all of Joshua's victories as God's agent, the Israelites broke their covenant with God, and instead of breaking the altars to the other gods, they made covenants with their enemies and began to worship these other gods. As Judges chapter 2 verses 6 to 15 puts it, Joshua was no more. And a new generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor remembered the mighty acts of the Lord. The question therefore that Judges ask then is, what would happen to these Israelites in the absence of God's influence or protection? Or as Judges chapter 3 verse 4 puts it, would the Israelites remember and obey God's commands which He had given through Moses? Now before we can even go into uh, chapter 16, which is the focus of today's sermon, I need to give you a quick and brief summary of chapters 3 leading up to uh, 16. Chapters 3 to 16 document seven spiraling cycles of sin, servitude, supplication, salvation, and silence. Then repeated back all the way at the beginning. Now, those are big words, but they reflect a recurring pattern of the Israelites regressing into sin through idolatry, apostasy, and evil. God would then withdraw His protection from them, and the people would be attacked by an assortment of their enemies, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Hivites, Jebusites, and Philistines. They'd suffer for a period uh, of time, uh, being dominated and uh, being oppressed in despair. And then they would remember the Lord and then cry out to the Lord. God would raise a deliverer for them. The Spirit of the Lord would come upon the deliverer and then overpower all these oppressors. And the land would be at peace for a period of time until... The cycle of apostasy and evil started all over again. Hence, this whole spiraling circle uh, terminology. These deliverers were called judges. In Hebrew, they, they call them shoftim. And they would lead Israel for various periods of time. There are 12 judges listed in the book of Judges, beginning in chapter 3 with Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, Tola, Jair, Jephthah, Isban, Elon, Abdon, before ending with Samson in chapter 13 to 16. Some of them are described in passing with a, a verse or two, just a small bit, uh, and some take a chapter or more. They all stood out above all the other leaders, at, uh, uh, they all stood out as leaders of Israel. And though each of them were increasingly flawed in some way or other, at the center of the book of Judges, Samson's story occupies four chapters and is a pivotal point after which the book of Judges documents in 
five chapters, uh, 17 to 21, God's chosen people going down a path of idolatry, apostasy, evil, and self-destruction. Yes, you heard that right. They were killing each other totally unchecked. And the writer of Judges ends with a summary judgment in uh, Judges 21 verse 25. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Talk about the darkness and evil of man's heart being given free reign to do as they see fit. Now, out of all the stories of these judges, I have chosen to highlight to you the story of Samson. Why? Because Samson provides us a mirror to look at ourselves. It provides us a reflection of what makes a person more than ordinary. Set above, higher, above average, supernatural if you want to call it that. And a reflection of what the chosen people of God are called to know, be and do. So let's dive in. Uh, let me make the first of three observations. And if, uh, if you have the outline uh, taken from the bulletin, you can follow there and fill in the blanks. Now the first of the three observations is that Samson uh, is a Nazarite and he was dedicated from birth and called or prophesied to be a Nazarite till his day of death. Uh, that's what his, uh, his mother uh, essentially said. And he is uh, in the line of all the judges uh, written about in, uh, in the book of Judges. He is the last judge. So there's a particular importance to who he is and uh, quite an important reflection on him. Now, Samson's birth is foretold uh, through an angel of the Lord, you know, an angel of Yahweh, if you want to look at that. If you look at the Bible text, you'll find that this word Lord is capitalized, which is normally an indication in the Hebrew that is uh, yod heh wah the tetragrammaton. So this is an angel of the Lord, a theophany. Uh, an angel comes and uh, speaks to Manoah. And so Samson is promised to Manoah and his wife, who is said to be barren. And they're told that Samson is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. So even at the point of birth, uh, he's already dedicated to God. And you can find that in Judges chapter 13, verses 3 to 5. In that same uh, set of verses, in verses 3 to 5, uh, the angel states God's purpose, and it is this, that Samson will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Samson will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So that is his great destiny, that's his great call, and that's his identity that's being given to him. Now does that sound familiar? Uh, maybe think about John the Baptist, you know, angelic theophany, uh, barren mother, uh, and uh, John goes uh, saying, make straight the path of the coming Messiah. He prepares the way. But I digress a little. Let's get back to, to Samson. What does it mean to be a Nazarite? So we know he's dedicated from birth and he's called to be a Nazarite. What is a Nazarite? Uh, Moses is recorded in Numbers chapter 6 verses 2 to 3. And you can read the following verses. 
saying three important things about the, the external uh, outlook of a Nazarite. One is that uh, he's not supposed to have a razor put to his hair. In other words, uh, no haircuts, and no shaving of the beard. He's, uh, he's going to be a very long-haired uh, guy, and most of them would be wearing locks of hair. Second important one was that uh, a Nazarite was not supposed to drink any alcohol. Uh, more than that, he was not supposed to eat of any fruit of the vine, whether it be a raisin or a grape or even fermented vinegar. And the third thing uh, that would distinguish the Nazarite from the rest of the people was that they were not meant to touch dead bodies or no dead things. Uh, it was, uh, in a way, unclean and they were meant uh, to keep themselves uh, pure and separate. Now, this was particularly difficult because it also meant that a Nazarite, during the period of his vows, would not be able to uh, be close to the family if somebody passed away, even their mother or father. These were the outward signs, but the more significant spiritual discipline was to uh, be internal, which was to keep holy, uh, to be dedicated and consecrated to God. Once again, you can find it in Numbers chapter 6. Uh, the internal uh, psyche of the Nazarite was to be wholly dedicated and consecrated to God. That is what Samson was called uh, to be. Uh, so there were strictures and disciplines that had to be observed for him to operate within that identity as a Nazarite. But did he live up to his vows as a Nazarite. I mean, what kind of a Nazarite is he? Uh, we hear nothing of Samson's growing years uh, until in Judges chapter 14, verse 1, the writer records that Samson saw a Philistine woman and then he tersely tells his parents in the following verses, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Wow. A very short and brief statement to his parents. Uh, this is particularly going against God's command uh, through Moses. Uh, remember Moses, the lawgiver? Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 1 to 6 says, To not intermarry with these nations that they were going into, as they would cause the people, uh, the children of Israel, uh, to turn to idolatry and from following God. Samson's eyes were leading him down a path that would lead him astray. Astray from his dedication and consecration to God. He also, in this statement, ignores his parents' reasonable objections, showing disdain to God's commandments to honor one's parents. Now, his parents actually said, Are there no Israelite women that you have to go after these uncircumcised Philistines? So they objected, uh, but he ignored it and he insisted that they, uh, they, that they get him this wife. Now, uh, Samson, as he goes down and approaches the vineyards of Timnah, uh, encounters a young lion, uh, whereupon the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him powerfully, uh, verse uh, chapter 14, verse 6, and he tears it apart 
with his bare hands. I mean, the Bible is quite graphic there in saying that, you know, it's like uh, tearing a goat apart. Uh, I just imagine KFC chicken just being torn apart. Uh, but this is the first implicit sign uh, that the writer marks Samson as more than a normal human being in strength. Uh, supernatural, if you would like to call it that. And upon returning to the dead carcass of the lion, because uh, Samson is going to and fro between Zorah uh, in the highlands to Timnah down in the valley where, where his uh, future wife was to be, Samson finds uh, a swarm of bees and honey uh, in this dead carcass of the lion. And he scoops it up with his hands and proceeds to eat it. Now remember, a Nazarite is to not touch or go near anything dead. Not only does he kill the lion, touch the dead body with his bare hands, but he also eats the honey from the dead carcass. Now this would be viewed as ritually unclean and would have therefore made him unholy according to Leviticus chapter 5 verse 2 again as prescribed by Moses what's worse he has no qualms in spreading this ritual uh, uncleanness to his family uh, he he offers up this honey which he has taken from a dead uh, animal uh, to his parents and he doesn't tell them about it he hides the fact that it is unclean. Now, we have to know, uh, and I need to explain to you the background to this, the word Nazarite, N-A-Z-A-R-I-T-E, or N-A-Z-I-R-I-T-E, the root word is Nazir, and Nazir means to be separated unto God. Separated in the form of holiness, uh, consecration, and dedication, not to be used for normal things. And so this, uh, this act of consecration and separation to God would often involve celibacy. In other words, no sexual relations during the period of the vow or uh, a choice to be apart from the world, uh, just like John the Baptist who was in the desert and keeping apart from the world. So this would involve celibacy for the period of the vows and a separation from worldly ways. Yet, we see Samson pursuing the lust of his eyes and the lust of the flesh with his Philistine wife, the prostitute, and eventually Delilah. Three women. Not only that, when he is trapped uh, or caught, uh, he would use his gifted strength to salvage his wounded pride uh, when he lost his bet or get himself out of a problem. Samson steals from the Philistines, he's uh, vengeful, and he triggers a chain of events that eventually lead to to the death of uh, of this Philistine wife and his uh, father-in-law by fire. He continues to commit these acts of violence and murder, uh, defeating with a donkey's jawbone a thousand men uh, seeking to capture him. That's a that's a sight to imagine or behold. You know, uh, Samson holding on to this uh, donkey's jawbone and just clobbering people. But he was a man of violence, and uh, you know he boasts about it that he had killed a thousand people. So was Samson adhering to his Nazarite vows? 
outwardly maybe he had his long hair. <laughs> he was never recorded as getting drunk on wine, but he was a man of violence and death. And he had roving eyes, lustful appetites, and he was even resorting to prostitutes. Now, you decide for yourself whether he is keeping holy, consecrated, and dedicated to God. But if you ask me, I think Samson was barely operating within the confines of his identity as a Nazarite, holding on by a thin thread to the external appearances of his long hair, but losing his holiness, consecration, and dedication to God. Now, in spite of Samson's wanton neglect of his Nazarite identity and vows, the Spirit of God comes powerfully upon Samson to wreak havoc upon the Philistines, as was prophesied prior to his birth. Not because Samson is a holy, righteous vessel for the power of God, but because God was determined that he, God himself, would work his will through Samson. Now, let me come to the second observation. What would make Samson like any other man? Now, we've already said that because of his strength, uh, and, and the fact that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, that he was more than ordinary, extraordinary, supernatural. What would make Samson like any other man? Four times, four times, Samson was asked by Delilah how he could be tied and subdued. Now, love uh, truly blinded Samson uh, so much so that he was unable to see past Delilah's greed and deception. And Delilah was being promised a, a large amount of silver from each of the five Philistine rulers. So we know that he was blinded by his love and his lust for Delilah. And uh, despite Delilah openly asking him, uh, what does it take to subdue you and tie you up? Uh, he just uh, jokes around with her. And so four times this happens. Now, the narration of this trapping of Samson drips with irony in Hebrew. The meaning of the root word for Delilah's name, D-L-L, is uh, to lay low or impoverish. It's, it's almost like uh, thinking of a, a, a ball wrecker that smashes into a building to bring it crumbling down. That's the root meaning of the word uh, Delilah, D-L-L. And you recall when, you, when we read the text that uh, Delilah comes from the Valley of Sorek. Valley of Sorek. Now, in Hebrew, that translates to the Valley of Choice, vines. That's like kryptonite to Superman. And, and you know, uh, you recall the Nazarite vow basically says that he is to stay away from the fruit of the vine. So there's this irony and wordplay going around in the Hebrew, but it's essentially in verse 4 a symbolic warning that he was tasting of the fruit of the vine, a forbidden fruit uh, for him. Four times in reply to Delilah's question, Samson says he would be weak, weak as any other man, uh, if 
and then he he gives his uh, his uh, flimsy reasons the first time the second time and the third time i mean it's not really that important to talk about the the nature of what those things were but notice that by the third time he was going very close to the secret of his uh, enormous strength um but i want to come back to this word that he used you know uh, to be weak uh, he would be weak as any other man and to be weak is uh, there are many words to use it but the word that samson particularly uses is uh, this the, the choice of word that he uses is this hebrew word called haliti haliti uh, which means uh, to profane or to deconsecrate uh, to profane or to deconsecrate um if there was another way of of putting it it's almost as if to corrupt something to the point that the integrity of the structure becomes totally porous and useless that's the term that was used to profane or deconsecrate now these are very important words for a for a nazarite you know to 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 be deconsecrated or to lose your dedication or to be profane and what is most sad about this is every time he falls asleep then he wakes up and then he has this thing going on in the fourth time when his hair is finally shorn off and all the locks are, are gone seven locks uh, of hair that he had is gone what is most sad about the story is that when his locks had been cut short samson did not know that the lord had left him he did not know that the lord had left him Now that's a very telling thing and it also speaks in a way to us. How many times are we very much uh very consumed by the outer trappings of who we are as Christians? We have churches, we have uh, bumper stickers, uh, you know, uh, fish signs and all these external signs that we are Christian. But we forget or don't even realize or don't even know when the Lord is no longer with us. So many of us identify ourselves by our covenant vows and the outer markings but we fail to realize that our holiness our dedication and consecration to God has been profaned has been deconsecrated and desecrated when we give in to the lust of our eyes the lust of our flesh and the pride of life which is of this world And we find that in 1 John chapter 2 uh, verse 16 the lust of the eyes the lust of the flesh and the pride of life that is of this world Samson knew that he was a Nazarite that he was dedicated to God from birth uh, we know this because in the fourth time when he finally reveals to Delilah what what it takes to to subdue him to make him like any other man he he admits he says I'm a Nazarite I'm dedicated to God that that's the source of his strength. So what made him different from others was partly his strength. But if you scan chapters 13 to 16 you will find that uh, Samson's supernormal strength comes only when the spirit of the Lord comes upon him powerfully. It is not inherent or latent in Samson. but it is poured into him by god 
The source of that strength, therefore, was the Spirit of God that was linked to him by that covenant vow. That covenant vow of dedication to God. You take away that relationship from Samson and he was weak like any other man. Alone. Without God. This brings me to uh, the third observation. And I've, I've titled it uh, Samson's Last Prayer. You find this in Judges chapter 16 verse 28. But before I go into that prayer, did you notice? Uh, well, maybe if you, if you had read chapter 13 to 16, you wouldn't notice that Samson is only recorded as praying to the Lord twice. In all these four chapters, he prays twice. His first prayer is recorded in Judges chapter 15, verse 18, uh, when he prayed that he would live and not die of thirst. Having killed a thousand men, he was parched. And he says, having done this wonderful, miraculous thing to me, are you then going to let me die of thirst? It was rather crude if you ask me that prayer. His other prayer is here in Judges chapter 16, verses 28 to uh, 30. Uh, and this is when he prayed, Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please God, strengthen me. And then the prayer continues uh, asking for vengeance and uh, for, for, for strength, really, to, to take revenge on his, on his people. He, in this prayer, Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me. He uses three terms uh, for God. The first one, uh, Yahweh, like I mentioned earlier on, uh, capital L-O-R-D, capitalized, which in the Hebrew is translated uh, yod heh wah the tetragrammaton, Yahweh. But the other word, Sovereign Lord, is translated in Hebrew, Adonai, Yahweh. And the last, uh, the last one that he used, please God, uh, Elohim. Elohim Hazak. You know, God, Elohim, strengthen me. So he uses these three terms. It's, it's an appeal. Uh, it's almost in the same way that you, you call out to a person at the depths of your despair. Uh, and you, you're just seeking out. He prayed that he would get revenge for the loss of his two eyes. And in a way, die in the process, and in the process of dying, effectively uh, cause much damage uh, to his enemies. It's rather ironic that he's asking for revenge for the loss of his two eyes, because it was the last of his eyes that got him into all this trouble. Both prayers were answered, not for his sake, but that God would accomplish His prophesied will that Samson will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. I also like you to, to take away this thought, that in his prayer, the Lord answered him. Many times, you know, we have this covenant uh, availability to God, but we never call upon him in prayer. So I hope that you will heed this call that Samson does to pray. Now, I did say earlier on that Samson provides us a mirror, a mirror to ourselves. 
Do we see ourselves in Samson and in the people of Israel? We are all called by God to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation set apart to be God's precious possession. We too are called to be holy, dedicated and consecrated to God. Now, some of us might admire Samson for his strength, his courage and maybe even his success with women. And they think that they could be smarter than him and not fall into that trap, you know. It was a bit silly of him. Don't be a Samson. Don't be a Samson. Samson was birthed by God, dedicated to God at birth, purposed to do God's will, and yet constantly rejecting that special relationship, identity, purpose, and calling from God. And instead, exploiting these God-given gifts for selfish gain. How many of us are like that? Samson's story ends the seventh cycle of sin and apostasy in the book of Judges. And the nation of Israel continues its ever-tightening cycle of apostasy, idolatry, evil, darkness, death, and sin that ends with the summary judgment of Judges, chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. There's another judge who, like Samson, was persecuted and died at the hand of his enemies. He too was uh, he too destroyed the enemies of his people at his death. While the world was in sin and rejected God, all were living under the oppression of sin, death, and evil. God sent a deliverer. He too was announced by the angel of the Lord, angelic theophany. His life was holy, dedicated and consecrated to God and prophesied of by many. God sent him to deliver us from our greatest enemies, sin and death. Unlike Samson, his life brought love, peace and fullness of joy. Unlike Samson, he fulfilled the law of Moses, was sinless and honored all his vows and promises. And unlike Samson, he rose from the dead having conquered death and sin. He alone will judge the living and the dead. And because he lives and has broken the cycle of sin and death, I can declare that I am unlike the people of Judges. I have a king. His name is Jesus Christ, and the life I live, I live for Christ. In these days, the church has a king, and everyone in the kingdom of God does as the king wills it on earth as it is in heaven. And what is God's will? Jesus and Moses reminds us through the law, the new commandment which Jesus gave us, to love the Lord with all your heart, all your strength, all your mind, and all your soul. And to love one another as Jesus loved us. Amen.
Dear friends, uh, shall we bow our heads in prayer and commit this to the Lord? Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember us. Please, God, strengthen us to follow our Lord Jesus and overcome our tests and temptations. Help us to remember you and honour you in all that we do. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Judge and our King. Amen. Friends, before I, I leave you, I wanted to uh, leave these thoughts with you in terms of the application. I want you to go back and remember that you are born of the Holy Spirit. You are birthed of God. You've been called and set apart by God for His purpose. Dedicated, consecrated, and holy to the Lord. Will you be secure and consistent in your identity as a child of God. Secure and consistent in your identity as a child of God. And will you do this the, to, to cherish and work out your relationship with God uh, in, in working out the good deeds that you can do, particularly in the season of COVID-19. We pray that we can find ways to help out and reach out and show love uh, to our neighbours, particularly those who are marginalised, the poor, the widows, the prostitutes, uh, the migrant workers, the foreigners, uh, your neighbour, everyone. Let's uh, do our best uh, to help them through this period. Friends, I hope that the sharing of the word has uh, spoken to you and that the Lord is uh, stirring in your heart some things for you to look upon and that you're reflecting on the mirror uh, that Samson provides to us. And uh, we come to some reflection questions and these reflections are important because they are part of how we're going to apply it in our, in our lives. There's uh, really no point studying a lot about the Word but then not applying it into our lives. So the three uh, discussion questions uh, to do uh, probably, in your, probably in your small group or in a family discussion, the first one would be, what sets you apart from others? Uh, what sets you apart from others? Uh, does your relationship with God uh, set you apart from others? Um, in the same way that uh, what made uh, Samson distinctive uh, was his relationship with God and his covenant relationship with God. What sets you apart from others? Is it just mainly your own skills? Or is there something about you that, uh, that God is with you? Uh, that sets you apart. The second one is, uh, have you consecrated and dedicated yourself to God? Have you consecrated and dedicated yourself to God? This is a question about holiness. And, and you know, for the, for Samson, we know that uh, he became deconsecrated uh, and uh, lost his relationship as a result of his failure to maintain uh, this holiness, dedication, and uh, uh, sanctification or, or consecration to God. So have you consecrated or rededicated yourself to God? And the third question, how are you using God's gifts and provision for you to fulfill His purpose and will? Uh, Samson made the unfortunate mistake to use all God's gifts to him 
for his own selfish purposes. Uh, his strength, his, uh, his uh, leadership, his courage was uh, skewed towards what he wanted rather than what God uh, wanted him to use it to. Either way, God would still use him. But how are you using God's gifts and provision for you to fulfill His purpose and His will? And again, uh, particularly in this period of COVID-19, how will you use your gifts uh, towards achieving God's will? I hope it's not retreating into your home, setting up all your all your nice barriers uh, and, and uh, protecting your self-interest, but considering the needs of others. I pray that you will find time to do this, and I, I pray that the Lord also will bless you uh, in this endeavor. Dear friends, uh, let us prepare our hearts to sing the song of dedication.
brothers and sisters, let us close this time in uh, prayer. Let me offer you a moment as you close your eyes to speak to the Lord as to how He has spoken to you through the liturgy, the scriptures, the exhortation, and also the songs and hymns. Let us pray. Brothers and sisters, go forth from here as a risen people. Follow your King who goes before you and know that as a church we have a King. Go forth therefore to do His will, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, mind and soul, and to love one another as our Lord Jesus Christ taught us.